Did anybody bring a copy of the Bible with them? A hard copy? Okay. So um, we're going to use it in a, in a minute. If you, didn't have, if you don't have a hard copy Bible with you, there is one in the pew. You can use that one, um, if you will. And it's not, I'm not being legalistic. I'm not saying you got to have a hard copy of the Bible with you while you're a sinner. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. I'm, just, I'm going to use it here in a moment to make a, to make a point. Um, so just be aware, I'm going to ask you to do a Bible drill of sorts, okay? All right, so tonight we're going to move ahead with our discussion of, of Revelation. And uh, this is essential truths. This is basically 99 essential truths. Whether or not we follow and finish all 99 of them or whether we couple some together and maybe pass over a few, it's, uh, it's up to our context. Uh, so... You know, I'm, I'll evaluate that as we move ahead. But these two that we have started with are very essential. They are foundational for for doctrine. Um, as I mentioned last week, general revelation uh, is basically looking at the created order, looking at the way that things are in creation, and seeing that there is an intelligent designer behind it all, and being able to articulate, looking at the stars, the earth, the human body, the cells in the human body. Uh, the cosmos, that there's something about the God who created all of this. And we said he was all-powerful, he was wise. Um, and so those are some good things that we can, that we can uh, find in general revelation. But what were maybe one issue with general revelation that we, that we discussed? What was one major issue with general, general revelation that, that, is, that is a problem? You remember... That's right. It doesn't get you to Jesus. So I believe um, J.I. Packer mentioned something about a um, mountaintop experience. When you can see the mountain from afar, but you know about the mountain, okay, so you can visualize it, but haven't gotten close enough to know the intimate nooks and crannies of that mountain. And so... It's the same way with general revelation. You can look from afar and see there's something about a God who has fine-tuned everything, but we don't know him intimately unless he has given you special revelation to know him. And so general revelation is important, and we're going to talk about a few of those things tonight. But what I wanted to shift some gears and talk about is special revelation. Okay, so general revelation, creation. There are things that you can know about God through the created order. And we will touch on some of those tonight. Uh, Some of the things again in general revelation. A few scriptures that uh, will talk about the characteristics of God and the attributes of God. The will of God. The purpose of God. the, The purpose of God's redemptive. What is God's redemptive plan? And so this is things that are given to us via special Revelation. Okay? Just to make sure that we understand what revelation is, uh, revelation is the unveiling or uncovering of something once hidden or unknown. So think of revelation in the biblical sense like a um, like lifting of the veil off of the bride. You know, you're revealing the face, 
something to that uh, effect. So it is unveiling, revealing, disclosing something that was once hidden for a purpose or unknown. Okay, so let me ask you this before we move on. Is there any more um, special revelation given today? Yeah, let's say, is there any new revelation? No new, yeah. But sometimes we get those terms confused because there is no new revelation but there is a deeper understanding of revelation that is already given. So a deeper digging and a deeper understanding. Uh, I think it was uh, St. Augustine that said this is uh, faith-seeking understanding. Okay, We have faith, and then as we pursue Christ, we have a deeper understanding of our faith. So revelation is unveiling of something. Okay, it comes from the word apocalypsis in the Greek, the book of the Revelation, the apocalypse of St. John. What is, the, what is the revelation? What is the apocalypse? It is the revealing of the fullness of Christ and Christ and the plan of God. It is the unveiling of, of Christ's redemption for all mankind. With all the nations will come and gather and worship God. And we'll talk about some of that tonight. And it is galah in the Old Testament, which essentially means the same thing, to uncover or to unveil. Okay? And general revelation is uncovering something about God as a fine-tuner, a creator, great power, great wisdom. And then general special revelation is getting intimate. All right? So, so what is the starting place for general and special revelation? What is the starting place? The Word. The Word. So let's go to the Word. The starting place for uh, for general and special revelation is God himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible was not written uh, with all the 44 different authors in varying places, three different languages on different continents, all coming together for the same, the same redemptive story spanning thousands of years of history. And it all comes to this one story that God spoke. And if God speaks, we hear and we listen. So the Bible didn't have to go through this exercise of explaining his existence. In Psalms it says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And so... The author of Genesis and any author of the book don't have to spend time trying to explain the existence of God because it is assumed or presumed by the audience who is reading. So general revelation and special revelation starts where it always starts, and that's with God himself. Okay. All right, so let's talk a little bit further about special revelation. There is a fuller um, definition of this that I'm going to give at the very end, but I've broke it apart for us kind of in bite-sized pieces uh, for us to kind of chew through a little tonight. And uh, there's so much more we can say on general and special revelation, but we want to get the, the gist of, of what, we're, what we're pointing towards, special, what we're revealing. 
All right? So the special revelation refers to God himself revealing to humanity through historical events, through his word, and through Jesus Christ. And those are the main avenues of general of revelation. Um, and we, you, can, you can also, if you wanted to, you can, you can say through his word and through, through himself or through his triune uh, nature or character that God has revealed himself in that way. And so we're going to dig into this first segment, this first topic here, this first sentence, and talk about what uh, these different historical events, his word, and, and Jesus Christ as special revelation. All right. So by God's word, just as you have been a student of God's word for Lord knows how long, I would imagine some of you have been saved longer than I have been alive. But just right off the top of your head, what are some things that you know about God from his special revelation, God's word? We're going to unpack some of this later, but what are some attributes about God in his word that you know about him? He's just. Just? Yep. Yeah. Yahweh. No beginning, no end. Omniscient. Omnipresent. Omnipotent. There's so much we could say. What God's Word says about God Himself. In the realm of theology, we call this theology proper. This is the study of God Himself and, and His characteristics. What are some things that we know about God through his word that he says of himself? All right, so let's look at a few of these things. All right, so I asked you to pull out your Bible a while ago, hard copy of your Bible. All right, so anywhere you drop in scripture, you will find attributes of God that are either explicit or implicitly drawn no matter where you drop. And so if you have a hard copy of God's word, by the way, let me add a disclaimer here. I would not suggest that you read scripture this way that I'm about to, I'm about to ask you to do. All right. This is what you call lucky dipping. Have you ever heard that term? Lucky dipping. Lucky dipping is when you open up the Bible and you point to a passage and you read and say that God led me there. Now, there's nothing against lucky dipping itself. If you back up and read, and you read forward, and you get the context of what you're, of what you're reading. So there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we don't want to read Scripture just that way because God's Word is not hidden to us. He wants us to know His Word. It is, it is not like veiled in that sense. He wants us to know about Him. So let's open up your Bible. Just open it up anywhere and point somewhere. And read that verse. So there's your Bible drill. Any, anybody want to read the verse? Now, I got a few that I'm going to share that I did today in the study. So I'm going to share them with you. But somebody read a verse. What do you point to? I landed on Ezekiel. Okay. Three. And it's. 
Now at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Okay. Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. Okay, good. Yeah, so what does that say about God? Well, that God speaks and God gives his word. Um, and not only that, but there is a moment of waiting to hear from the Lord too. So God is, God honors his promises, God sends his word, God speaks, God gives revelation, even in Ezekiel. All right, somebody else. Ms. Jeannie, did I, did I see your hand? So, yeah, I think the focal verse there would be loves, that God loves. But I think that also presses against what uh, Thomas said about God being just and God judging sin. So, explicitly or implicitly drawn. Somebody else. One more. Have you? So theology proper, God is, he is without beginning, he's without end. That name is a to-be verb that God, that the Lord gives to Moses in the improper English is, he just is. Always existed. So again, that's a little bit more um, explicit in its, you know, the character of God. I am that I am. Okay, so let me share some. Again, I don't suggest studying your Bible that way, <laughs> uh, but unless you read forward and back and you know and get the context where you're at in Scripture. Um, but it's good for our exercise because anywhere you drop in the Word, you will find something about the attributes of God in it. So let me share you share with you mine. And by the way, I dropped in to Second Chronicles two times. With two different Bibles for some reason. So I don't know, maybe it was the way that I opened the pages. But Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 36 says, If they sin against you, there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to a far land. So that not only says something about the nature of God, but it also says something about the nature of man. And their brokenness and their fallenness and their propensity to sin. <laughs> um, so God judges; He's just. Uh, we can um, we can gather those that characteristic from from that. It says something about His nature. All right, over there. Okay. So the other place was Matthew five and eleven. So that's Sermon on the Mount, more probably recognizable. Verse, it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So what would we infer about the nature of God from this verse?
Even though this is before the ascension of Christ, uh, it does tip its hat to God being imminent and God never leaving or forsaking his people. You know, that uh, he will be with us even when those people come and will revile you and come against you. That um, he says, blessed you are, blessed you will be. All right. So he doesn't need leave us to sink or swim. Okay. All right. Through special revelation, this is the second portion of that longer excerpt. Through special revelation, human beings learn about God's character, his will, his purpose for creation, and his plan uh, of redemption. And so we're going to look at each of those and try to try to think scripturally about each one of those. So we're talking about special revelation in this sense. What does the Bible say about God's character? We've already spoke about some of that. What does the Bible say about his will? You ever heard anybody, maybe you even said, well, what's God's will for my life? And you probably heard it all the time. You may have even asked it yourself. So, well, the Bible tells us some things about his will for us. Uh, how about his purpose for creation? Why did God create the world around us? Was, did God create because he was lonely? That he needed some friends? Um, uh, no. But anyway, um, and we'll talk about his plan for redemption. And we're going to look at these through the lens of Scripture. Let's see what scripture says about each of these. So what we want to kind of navigate towards spun from special revelation to uh, from general to special revelation is two terms. Okay, there's two terms. General revelation, you're talking about the transcendency of God. Okay, that would mean that God created everything and he is above all of the created order. In Genesis chapter 1, you read through Genesis chapter 1, and we may have done this before in the past, but if you read through Genesis chapter 1 and you just tally up how many times the word God is used in chapter 1, you'll come up to about 30 or 31 times that the word God is used in creation. But we often will say that creation is about what? Creation. It's about the six days that God created everything, and then on the seventh, he rested. But the creation account is not about creation. It's about the God who created it all. And so, in that regard, God is Elohim. He is above all the things he created. It is like saying he is the king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, He is the God over gods, so to speak. Um, because it is a a plural usage of the word Elohim. But general revelation talks about God's transcendency. He is above the created order. He is other than, he is separate from the created order. He's not in the trees. He's not in the rocks. He's not in the dirt. He's not in the water. He is separate from it. Okay, and then special revelation speaks to the uh, imminency of God, that God is imminent, meaning that, through special revelation, specifically the person of Jesus, 
Now, we, now God is near to us. And we have a relationship. It's like the mountain we mentioned. You can see it off afar, but you can't get to know the nooks and crannies and the cliffs until you get up on it. And so, and we only get up on it when God invites you in and calls you to himself. And so that's transcendency and the imminency of God or that God is imminent. And God is only imminent through the person of Jesus and his work. Okay? So that's special revelation. All right, so the word of God is full of the attributes of God and the characteristics of God from the very beginning. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and I've read it already, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, well, was John, John chapter 1. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in that word created, it is only used when it's speaking about a divinely created thing. Bara is the word. It is the only time in scripture that that word is used is when God does the creating creating out of nothing. And so the attributes of God we find at the very beginning is that God creates out of nothing. He doesn't need to gather the wood and the, the nails and the drywall and the brick and the mortar. And he doesn't need to gather materials to create things. He creates them by his word and out of nothing. The term for that is ex nihilo. Out of nothing God creates. And so the word of God is full of the attributes of God. But what do we know about his will? So we're working through that, that framework I mentioned early, earlier. What do we know about God's will through his word? What do we know about his purpose? What do we know about creation? And what do we know about his plan for redemption? Okay, we got some scripture we're going to read together as well. Because I didn't post. There's two passages I've, I've got for us to read through. And we'll flip to our Bible and read that here in a moment on each of these. So, what do we know about God's will? Okay, what do we know about the, his, his will? Okay, any scriptures to help us there? Bible is full of them. And it's hard to really lucky dip on that, okay? First Thessalonians 4.3. Thessalonians. Sanctification. Absolutely. Yeah. So how about God's will in, and his characteristic that he is a saving God? And the adjective, he's a salvific God. He seeks to save the lost. His will. I got a verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So that's considered something in the will of God. But then that would raise the question, then why do people perish? Okay. I don't know if we want to dig into that well tonight or not, but <laughs> but yeah, he is not slow to he is not he fulfills his promises. He is patient. Okay, sanctification, maturity in Christ to grow in grace and knowledge of who Christ is. 
Romans 12, is that the, yeah, that's, well, we just finished that. <laughs> Romans 12, let's see. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Yeah, good. Don't be conformed by the world, but be renewed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect and perfect. Good. Okay. What would we say about the purpose, his purpose? What is God's ultimate purpose for this created world? If you could just had one verse that you like, well, this is the purpose for all humanity. The purpose for the cosmos itself. Where would you land? Yeah. Return glory to God. Worship God. Yeah. We would often say it's to make disciples. Yeah. And I would say that, but that's a byproduct of giving glory and worship to God. So how... Uh-huh. Chief end of man is to glorify God, worship God. Sounds like a catechism. Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, no crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then verse 5 says... And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, write these words, for they are trustworthy and true. We could also, and I didn't, I didn't post this one. Um, I didn't post this one, but Revelation 7 and verse 9. Very similar to Isaiah chapter 2. Uh, worshippers flowing into Zion, God's holy hill, to worship from every tribe, nation, tongue. Revelation 7, 9 says, And after this, after he recorded the 144,000 who were sealed, uh, this is what John saw in the future. He said, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation to our Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So I think Danny was absolutely right is to give glory and worship back to God. That's his purpose for us, you and I. Uh, And um, is is to worship him. I've always thought that this, these particular two verses, particularly verse 10 in chapter 7 of Revelation, is very reminiscent when Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem and the people cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they wave palm branches, which they are saying, God, save us. And verse 10 says, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. I don't think that's by mistake. Okay, so yeah, his purpose. 
that we return worship. All right. So God's purpose is to recreate this fallen world and to bring about a new heaven and new earth. He wants to redeem a people for himself with whom he will dwell and with whom he will share his glory. Doesn't mean that he doesn't mean that he says, you know, glory is yours too, but in worship that they that we will worship. He has a plan that is according to his will which is the eternal purpose of God. He is also transforming us from this glory of man to the glory of God to be in his image. And so there's this ultimate, ultimate sanctification as we're on this progressive being conformed in the image of of God where ultimately we'll be glorified in the presence of God forever. Um, And there's also, you know, when people talk about our glorified body, will we know all things as God knows all things? Will we continue to learn? I think we'll continue to learn more about God because He is eternal, without end, and we will never exhaust knowing about God. And I think that's what we'll do when we're in His presence forever is continue to worship and continue to learn more about God through all eternity. I can't get my head around that, but. All right, so how about in creation? What is the purpose of creation? And we've touched on it when we talked about general revelation. And when we think of creation, we are thinking of what we see now. We're thinking of after the fall. That's most of the time what our mind goes to, but purpose for creation was when God created everything before the fall, before everything was distorted and affected by the fall, before our, our mind was distorted, our reason was distorted. The original purpose for creation is, is to glorify God. I think that Danny said it right earlier, creation, to give God glory, to point to his glory and his majesty. In the Hebrew language, the word Elohim is a word, a, a word of majesty. It is a term of majesty. And so I think this might be a little helpful for us in Romans 1.20. Now, now, Romans chapter 1 is a dissertation of sorts against the wicked against um, those who have turned to creation and began worshiping creation rather than the creator. But there is something in there that speaks of the purpose of creation and speaks to creation itself that says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. And ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So there's something that is perceived in, in the world that the created order that speaks to, to God, that we've mentioned these things already. He's powerful. He is wise. He is intricate in his design. We talked about this last week, about the solar system. Uh, we didn't really get much into the finer details of 
molecular structure and all that, which we don't necessarily need to. But the point I want to make is if even at the finest and the smallest elements of, of DNA and molecules, you take one little tiny, minute piece out of any cell and you have chaos and disorder. God has created everything, even, even in this fallen state, that, will, that still gives glory to himself and still shows that he is this grand designer. So clearly perceived. Psalm 8.3, when I look at your heavens, the faint works of your fingers, the moon and the star, which you have set in place. This is the powerful, all-powerful, omnipotent God that is nothing for God to throw the stars by his fingertips. It's, 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 no more, it's no more difficult for the Lord to create stars by his finger than it is for me to dip my hand in this coffee and sprinkle it, although it might be difficult to clean up, but to sprinkle some water. It's no more difficult for the Lord to do that. And so, it's this all-powerful God. We see that in His Word, special revelation. Okay, so how about His plan for redemption? This one should be fairly easy for us, students of the Bible. What is God's plan for, uh, for redemption? Any particular scripture that we can turn to? <laughs> I mean, you could read Leviticus and come to, a, to an understanding of a foreshadowing of God's plan of redemption. But I'm not going to turn there. <laughs> All right, First John is a good, good place to start. Of course, we could start at the gospel accounts, the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection. First John 4, 9, a John being given firsthand account. Uh, so 9 through 14 says, In this the love of God was made manifest, Amongst us. So if you were doing a cross reference, what verse might you find? Romans 5 8. God demonstrated his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All right. So he manifested among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Also in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be. The propitiation for our sins. He absorbed the wrath upon himself. And I like that verse there that says, not that we have loved God, because in our sinful state, we did not love God. We are enemies of God. Okay, but he sent his son in that while we were yet sinners. Beloved, and I like these terms of endearment he uses, beloved, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. So something about the attributes of God and his plan for redemption that would move us to love one another. Then he says, no one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, again, speaking of that beloved, that's why he used that term beloved there. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, that's a clear statement. We would have to unpack that, certainly, through the life of Jesus, through the gospel accounts, the firsthand accounts and the gospel accounts, the resurrection, the letters, the uh, epistles. And, of course, we could correlate all of that. And I think that's a good summary statement um, that uh, he sent his son to be the savior of the world. And the reason we unpack that is because you're a universalist might say, well, he saved the whole world. Okay. That every person who is a sinner has been saved. And that's not necessarily what John is saying. Because the next verse says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. So those confession of sins, those confession of who Jesus is. And then I mentioned Romans 5, 8 through 10. God demonstrated his love to us that while we were still in our sin, we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more Shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if we, have, if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And so, what is his plan for redemption? Yeah, it's all through scripture. What is that song? God... Um, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. What is that song? Because he lives. Yeah, there we go. I knew I knew that. Special revelation shows us the nature and character of God. And because God has revealed himself in this way, we can know him. That's the imminent, the eminence of God, that we can know him. And that we can know him through a saving relationship with him in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that's the latter portion of that bigger text I'll show here in just a moment. So the question remains, if the Bible is God's special revelation and Jesus' special revelation, I would say that the triune God himself is special revelation, particularly the Holy Spirit and particularly the Son of God, but God himself giving the law, the commandments through the word. I think the question is, how many people actually believe the Bible is God's special revelation to us? That's supposed to be one sentence. (laughs) Okay, so if Gallup did a poll, a survey... Percentage of Americans, everybody lumped all into one, evangelical, um, people who claim to be spiritual, flat earthers, whoever it might be. (laughs) How many people would actually believe that the Bible is God's special revelation, that it is actually God's word? Any guesses? But because there's so many variables, it's very difficult. I mean, because you have 33-some different denominations in the world, the world over. And out of those, you have, I mean, just Southern Baptists alone, 
You have more Reformed-ish Southern Baptist churches. You have more Arminian-ish, which is, you know, free will versus election. You have more some Southern Baptists that are elder-led. You have some that are congregational. We're congregational. There's so many things to consider in all of this, but Gallup did a poll, and their findings was 24% Americans who believe the Bible is the literal word of God. 24%. Are we surprised by that? (laughs) Yeah. So I got another little chart that might help us. I don't know if we can see it that good, but... um, Yeah, it's difficult to see, but there are some of the variables broken down. Um, So some that believe this actual word of God, inspired word of God, ancient books of of, of fables. And so that particular line, and that 24%, you know, when when you hear people like Vadi Bauckham or... John MacArthur, some guys like that that talk about America is biblically illiterate, that should not come as a surprise to any of us at 24 percentile. All right. And what really gets me amongst this list here, there is some amongst total Christian and also Protestant or other Christian. If you follow that over, there's 14 and 12 percent of them that believe the Bible is a book of fables. Now, these are people who claim to be followers of Jesus. 14% total Christian and Protestant or other, 12%. So I don't know how you could be a follower of Christ and not believe that this is God's word. But I will say this, through the years of liberal theology, through history of liberal theology, that is what the church espoused for a long time, that the Bible is... It's a good book to read for ethical and, you know, if you want to live a good moral life, but it's no more than just a collection of words. It's not supernatural. It doesn't have any supernatural power. Um, this is not God's word. Uh, it is not actual literal word of God. And so it's just another self-help book. Thank the Lord we have come, at least for our association We've come out of that way of thinking. Praise the Lord for that. But it shouldn't be no surprise of that number, 24% of Americans believe the Bible is the literal word of God. And there's variables on that too because they'll say, well, it is a record of God's word. And there is a difference. When you read the 1963 versus the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message, there is a variation in there. Is this actually just a record or is there something more to, to it? All right. So out of the, out of the, glo- all, uh, the face of the, the earth here, uh, you can see there's a few percentages, uh, major, uh, majorities in emerging economies who connect uh, belief in God and morality. So they, they believe something about morality, not necessarily maybe about God's word, but how do you find out what is right and what is wrong? What do you, how do you find out what is, um, what is uh, to be held to? And, and I mean, how do you know the will of God? And how do you know what is, what is right in, inside of God? Well, you've got to know special revelation. You've got to know God's word. 
All right, so a couple of these I want to highlight because it should not be a surprise to you. So I'm not surprised at Brazil, and I'm not surprised at India. Any particular reason why we shouldn't be surprised at those numbers? Okay, so on the scale, it goes zero to 100%. Of course, dark green would be 100%. And it is those, the percentage who say it is necessary to believe in God in order to be moral and have good values. Okay. And so the two that are the darkest green in the largest percentile that I see on my map is Brazil and India. So Brazil obviously shouldn't be a surprise because of the high concentration of their brand of Catholicism. It's a very morally driven. Um, that particular brand is very um, superstitious, very superstitious. So someone like, if you do this, God will bless you. If you if we got to live this moral life. India, um, their belief in God is a little different. Do you know how many gods India has in their cabinet of gods? You know how many? Last estimation by the International Mission Board was 33 million. <laughs> and those under, under all of those you have two. Shiva and Vishnu and all of those other gods flow. And, so, and they are also in a caste system. Which means you do well in this life. And you get reincarnated into a better life. So you're going to live your best life now. And live the best you can. And when you're reincarnated, you might be a, you know, a step above a peasant or a king or something to that regard. So the 79% doesn't surprise me. And 44 is almost mid-range for the United States. Russia, Orthodox, Church. Um, yeah. So anyway, you, you can kind of get a visual of that. Again, there's a lot of variables, but generally I think this gives us a good idea. All right, so special revelation. This is the fuller, um, that full uh, statement, okay? So it says special revelation refers to God revealing himself to humanity through historical events, his word, and through Jesus Christ. Through special revelation, human beings learn about God's character, his will, his purpose for creation, and his plan for redemption. We unpacked a few of those. Special revelation shows us the nature and character of God. And because God has revealed himself in this way, we can know him through a saving relationship with him in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that's the full, the full um, statement for special, special revelation. Okay, so we'll end on, on that note.